Welcome to Sports History 101, a production of the Saints Sports Network. Hello and welcome in to this edition of Sports History 101, hosted by myself, Ray Delgado. This episode is a different one than what we normally do. Today we're talking about Major League Baseball franchise valuations and how they have changed over time. A bit dry for some people, but interesting nonetheless, I would say at least, given the recent sale of the New York Mets and how astronomical that was. To start from the beginning, the National League was formed in 1876 with a handful of clubs and was the senior circuit for baseball for 25 years before the American League came about in 1901. Two years later, in 1903, Major League Baseball was formed with the merging of the two leagues, but both the National and American Leagues remain within Major League Baseball to this day. If you're a baseball fan, you know what I'm talking about. If not, then the National League has their own basically schedule and they the league sometimes play each other and the American League is the same. They're under the umbrella of the Major League Baseball. The winner of the AL and the NL, as they're called, then play in the World Series to determine who's the best. From 1903 to 1952, there was zero movement among the 16 teams within the league. So there were eight teams within each side and no teams were located or were added. In the 1910s, franchises could be purchased for $585,000. And in the 20s, the purchase price went all the way up to $1.02 million. And the average franchise valuation was 794000 So in 10 years, went up about $200,000 or so in terms of the value of having a professional baseball franchise. 25 years later, the team values tripled to $2.5 million on average. And a team could be bought for just over $1.5 million. So, I mean, if you're trying to buy into baseball, you're the... Valuation on average is two and a half, and you can buy in for one and a half. That makes good business sense. The 50s were a decade of change for Major League Baseball, as numerous markets had two or more teams, and franchises were coming to find out that it was very difficult to survive when competing directly with the team that played their games just a few miles away. That led to the Brooklyn Dodgers and the New York Giants both shipping out for California, Los Angeles and San Francisco respectively, in 1958 to become the first Major League Baseball teams in the West. Even before then, the Boston Braves moved to Milwaukee in 1953, the St. Louis Browns moved to Baltimore and became the Baltimore Orioles in 1954, Philadelphia Athletics moved to Kansas City in 1955. And then in 1961, the Washington Senators moved to Milwaukee to become the Twins. So quite a bit of movement in the mid to late 50s and then the very early 60s. And with all that movement, Major League Baseball thought it necessary to add a couple of new teams to replace some of those that relocated because there were some pretty big markets like New York that could sustain two teams. The first was to bring another team to the vast Los Angeles market, with the Angels joining the American League. The second was to not leave the nation's capital unrepresented, 
So the Washington Senators just left, and then the Washington Senators were reborn with a expansion franchise. Each the Angels and the Senators uh, paid $2.1 million to the American League in 1961 as their franchise fee to join the league. One year later, a team was added to replace one of the New York teams, and the New York Mets were born. Alongside the Mets, baseball was brought to Texas for the first time with the founding of the Houston Colt 45s, which after a few years would be renamed to the Astros as we know them now. Both of those teams were added to the National League and even to, excuse me, to even up both of the leagues at 10 teams apiece and 20 total, obviously. Given the talk of new additions to the league, and having representation across the nation, team valuations increased by $3 million from 1950 to 1960. That's astronomical. Once the four teams were added that we just talked about between 1961 and 62, the value of franchises went through the roof once again to over $10 million in 1970, nearly doubling in less than 10 years. So the business of baseball was very good. That was helped along in 1969 when four more teams were added to the ranks of MLB. The two American League teams were the Kansas City Royals and the Seattle Pilots, who actually moved to Milwaukee after just one season to become the Brewers. After the Braves, had, who had been in Milwaukee, left for Atlanta, so a lot of shifting around there. The other major factor for the steep jump in team value was the introduction of television and television rights. If you're not familiar with the concept, basically the teams sell their rights to different TV networks so that the TV networks can air the games. That started all the way back in 1964 for the MLB and Franchises received a total of $21 million, which steadily increased by multiple millions of dollars every year. Now having the opportunity to be seen on television in potentially a wider array of markets and not just, you know, you have to go to the gate, buy a ticket and sit in the seat. Team fan bases grew and so did their revenues. Obviously, Radio was around, and that was a big deal, too. People could listen to games. But it's it's a lot different when you can actually watch the game. And that was a huge, huge new thing for baseball and all sports in general. In 1977, another pair of teams was added to the league. The Toronto Blue Jays entered as the second Canadian team behind the Montreal uh, Expos, even though and then on top of that, even though a team had literally just left Seattle the year before, the Pilots, the or not the year before, but just recently, the city of Seattle sued Major League Baseball for breach of contract because the Pilots were sold and moved, and they were relocated, obviously, and that was allowed by the league when it really shouldn't have been because Seattle was granted that franchise. Therefore, to mitigate the lawsuit, more or less, another franchise was granted to Seattle, 
even though the first one had a really hard time surviving, they granted another one. And this time they were the Seattle Mariners, which are the team to this day. Each of those teams paid around six to six and a half million dollars to join the league. One of them being Canadian. So it's a little, a little tough to tell how much they actually paid in, in American dollars versus Canadian dollars. And that would bring the league to 26 teams strong, which really made it then a, a nationwide league, not so much a East and a West or a East Midwest and then West Coast kind of thing. The 1980s saw a huge jump in team value one more time. Well, not one more time, but another time. As by 1985, the average team was worth $40 million. And it would cost you just over $40 million to acquire a team, which happened 12 times in the decade. What started to happen as time went on was that team ownership was becoming a really big investment. I mean, your team was worth $40 million, but that also means that your players get paid more. There's more operating costs and all of that. And the operations were coming to be found out that they could be brought alongside a multimillionaire's other businesses and provide certain tax cuts or monetary value. For years, basically since the beginning of baseball, Major League Baseball teams were family-owned and even passed down through the family. You still find that here and there, but by and large, it was a family business operated at a large scale for a very long time. Oftentimes, the team that a family owned was their legacy, and that was how they were known. They were known as the owners of the team. Not from the business that they built up to then add on to a sports team later, the team was their business. As the revenues started to increase by huge margins, so did the costs, as we mentioned. And while the value of Major League Baseball teams were exponentially growing, fielding competitive teams and being able to turn profits to stay afloat started to become much more difficult for the family-owned teams, causing yet another shift in ownership. But we'll get to that after a quick break. In the 1990s, the winds of change swept across professional baseball because, as we mentioned, more money injected into the sport also meant more costs that some owners just couldn't sustain. Between 1989 and 1990, total league TV revenue jumped up over $400 million to $659 million, by far the highest of all time to that point. That divided out to just over $25 million per team, which was just an astonishing amount of money. The flip side of that meant that player salaries also boomed. In 1989, the average salary was $811,000, and by 1991, the average salary climbed over $1 million for the first time to just north of $1.1 million. And similarly, the average franchise value ballooned to $110 million. Those player salaries required deep pockets, deeper than a number of owners could handle, and accordingly, 14 franchises changed hands in the decade. This time, however, at a much more expensive clip, as the average price to buy an MLB team increased by $130 million. 
the 90s featured another round of expansion, the first in 16 years, which aided in team value rising so sharply. First, the Colorado Rockies and Florida Marlins bought into the league in 1993 for $95 million. And then later in the decade, the final expansion to date occurred in 1998 with the addition of the Arizona Diamondbacks and Tampa Bay Devil Rays, who paid a fee of $130 million each. Crazy amount of money. Another huge reason for the extra dollar signs were the slew of new stadiums that were built in the 90s. And we're going to run through them here real quick. Tropicana Field was built in 1990 to get an MLB team, which ended up working because they got the Devil Rays. And it was subsequently renovated for $70 million after being built eight years before for $130 million. Costing $137 million in 1991, the new Comiskey Park was built for the White Sox after they had used the original Comiskey Park for over 80 years. Oriole Park at Camden Yards was completed in 1992 at the price tag of $110 million. The ballpark in Arlington was completed in 1994 for the Texas Rangers at a cost of $191 million. The Cleveland Indians had Jacobs Field built in 1994 for $175 million. For $300 million, Coors Field was built to house the Colorado Rockies in 1995. We're almost done, I promise. In 1996, Centennial Olympic Stadium, which was actually built for the Summer Olympic Games, was then converted in 1997 to a baseball stadium for the Atlanta Braves and renamed Turner Field at a total cost of $209 million. Then in 1998, Bank One Ballpark was built for the expansion Arizona Diamondbacks at a cost of $364 million. And that was a pretty dang high price tag at that point, but that's because they had a retractable roof. You had to have a roof because it's so ridiculously hot in Arizona. But, you know, you got some good days, some nice days. So you could want to be able to open the groove. And they actually had um, real grass in the stadium. So they'd open the, gra- open the roof so the grass could grow, get some sun and things like that. And they also had the first swimming pool in a stadium. And then finally, last but not least, for $517 million, Safeco Field was built for the Seattle Mariners in 1999. So that's a lot of stadiums and a lot of money, which also raised the team value a lot. Given all those factors and the $1.3 billion, that's with a B, in TV revenue, baseball was becoming something absolutely enormous, generating nearly $3.6 billion dollars for the 2001 season. Since the turn of the century, teams have consistently changed hands to groups or owners worth billions themselves. Between the 1990s and the 2000s, average franchise values increased almost two and a half times to $480 million. Notable teams that sold in the 2000s were the Red Sox in 2002 for $660 million, the New York Mets for $135 million, the Dodgers for $430 million, the Nationals and Braves both sold for $450 million, 
and all in all, a lot of big teams were bought and sold in the 2000s. Some being controlled by corporations, like the Seattle Mariners were bought by the Nintendo Corporation, and the Angels were bought by the Disney Company. But most others were still owned by groups of people, groups that usually, you know, have very, very deep pockets. A huge development in team values came in 2012 when the Dodgers were up for sale once again. Multiple groups vied for the team, but a group headlined by Irvin Magic Johnson, the Los Angeles Lakers great, bought the team for $2.15 billion, far and away a record sale for a team. Far and away. No, no one was ever even close before then. That stood, and as time continued to pass, TV contracts, player salaries, team values, and revenues as a whole continued to rise. In 2015, franchise values climbed over the $1 billion mark for the first time to $1.2 billion and keep going up. In 2016, the TV revenue for the league just by itself was $1.5 billion. Now we are to the inspiration for this episode, the New York Mets. As you've probably seen in the newspapers, or no one really reads newspapers anymore, I guess. You've seen in on the social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook, all that good stuff. The Mets have been very poorly managed for at least the last four years. Essentially right after they made it to the World Series. The ownership, the Wilpons, was a family were unwilling to spend the money that would make the team competitive. So the Mets have dwelled in the cellar of basically second to last every year of the National League East Division, despite having one of the best pitchers in the league in Jacob deGrom and a couple other great players that have come and gone and been sold off and whatever, but they just they don't have enough to make something real happen. The Wilpons eventually decided to sell the team. And that that was in their best interest. And I would assume in part because of the coronavirus pandemic that we're all dealing with right now. That mitigated any kind of monetary gains that could be made for the 2020 season. So they were just ready to get out. And after many contentious months and other groups being reported in the media as interested, like Alex Rodriguez and Jennifer Lopez. Alex Rodriguez should be shunned from the sport, in my opinion. Someone who's been a cheater, a known cheater, and been suspended for cheating should not be able to be on baseball broadcasts and by teams. That's just, that should never, never be okay. But nonetheless, a legitimate owner emerged, and eventually the billionaire, Steve Cohen, bought the team for a for now a record $2.475 billion in October of 2020. Almost $2.5 billion to buy a Major League Baseball team. One of the favorite, my favorite things that I always hear about, about the sport of baseball is that it's supposed to be quote-unquote dying. It's supposed to be a sport that no one really cares about and has skipped the current generation. Well, it's going to cost you almost a billion dollars on average 
to buy a baseball team. The league gets a total of $2.1 billion in TV revenue. And the total league revenue right now, I guess last year in 2019, settled at just under $10.4 billion. A dying sport indeed. In the 1910s, you could buy an MLB franchise for $585,000. In the 2010s, it would cost you $1 billion. The value of franchises has jumped from $794,000 to $1.85 billion. TV revenue in 1964 was $21 million and is now $2.1 billion. The value that we place on entertainment has grown exponentially, and sports are at their core entertainment, as much as we might say otherwise, or as much hard work and you know grit and whatever you want to say. It's all for entertainment. These players would not be paid this much money. These teams would not be in existence if there wasn't some kind of entertainment value that we found in them. Regardless of public perception, that baseball is a thing of the past and no one likes it anymore. The sport keeps making money. And if $10.4 billion means no one likes it, then sign me up. I would, I would love to have something that everybody hates that's worth $10.4 billion. Major League Baseball has come, come up short with their diversity and their really reaching out and engaging the younger generation, but they are making good strides in doing, trying to figure that out and trying to make sure that they're not, they aren't missing a whole generation. But if you really look at the numbers, major league baseball is only growing. They keep, they continue to grow. They continue to make more money. And I think people are going to come around to baseball. They already love baseball. Dad's, Moms will show it to their kids. They're going to love it. They'll show it to their kids. There's always people who aren't going to like baseball. It's like there's people who don't like football, soccer, hockey, whatever, basketball, all the same. But for a sport that has been in the fabric of the United States for so long, for over a century, 150 years, then you know it's not just going to go away. It's not just going to go up in smoke. And Major League Baseball would never let that happen. But anyway, in terms of franchise valuations, they they cost so much money now. It's just absolutely ridiculous. And rightfully so. They are some of the most important entities in our country, to be honest. I mean, professional sports teams are some of the most sought-after things. People love to be in sports. They want to own sports teams. Therefore, the demand is there, and the price tag is really high. <sighs> All right. I think I'm done. And that is all the information that we have for this episode. So it was a short one, but interesting, I think, to see the evolution of Major League Baseball franchise values and how you need just obscene amounts of money to join the exclusive senior circuit. Until next time, everybody, stay safe and remember that Jesus loves you. Thanks for listening. Check out more content from the Saints Sports Network at saintsportsnetwork.home.blog.